in a matter of five weeks, a little bit more, we'll be celebrating the Feast of Trumpets, which will be the fulfilling on a promise that God made before the beginning of time. It will be the greatest event, one of the greatest events, of course, only made possible by sacrifice on our Lord Jesus Christ in the history of the universe, the manifestation of the sons of God, or the first fruits, at least. And then, of course, we know the rest will come. So thinking of that, brethren, I will ask you to review that promise that God made to give eternal life. We know he is the only one who has eternal life and has the power to transmit that life. And his name now, after these things were revealed, is our Father. That means the one who begot us with the eternal seed of his spirit. And it's a tremendous, a tremendous blessing, brethren. I've been thinking about it. If you want to go with me to the epistle of Titus, you will review and have a perspective of this tremendous promise and what God is doing with us. And we'll see, with the help of God, how this world is trying to erase that tremendous purpose. So in the epistle of Titus, we read chapter 1, verse 1. He said, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which is according to godliness. Now, let's look at verse 2 here. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. It's amazing, brethren, when you read about the people say the, the age of the universe in millions of millions of years. But God promised eternal life. And you know that's his name, the eternal. There is no one else except the one who is our father now. And at this time, when we made that promise, he was God. And the word was with him, and the word was God. And we know that both are eternal, because both are called Yahweh, which means eternal in the Bible. And I think you know that. Jesus Christ, when the Pharisees, when he said to the Pharisees, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced. They asked him, you have not, you are not 50 years, you are not 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. When Moses asked God in chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel will ask me, what is the name of the God that sent you to us? What is the name I should say? And who was speaking with him? God, of course. He said, tell them, I am, which means Yahweh, the ever-living, the eternal, sent you. So we know that Jesus Christ has always existed because he carries that name. And when the Bible says something, that's what it means. He says, I am, will send you. And when they ask him if he were not 50 years old, they have seen Abraham, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And we know that the Father also carries that name, the Eternal. Because when you look at Psalm 110, dear brethren, Psalm 110, that Christ quoted in asking something to the Pharisees, they couldn't answer. He said, how come David called, you know, the, uh, his master, my Lord, anyway, but he, they couldn't answer him. And he says here in Psalm 110, it's translated here in the, in the New King James, it's Lord, but if you look 
in the Hebrew, you look at a Bible that has the names in Hebrew, like the companion Bible always will indicate to you what word is being used of the many names that describe different aspects of God. But here the word is, the Lord said to my Lord. Here the Lord is, you check the Hebrew, is Yahweh. The eternal said to my Lord, Adonai. We already saw that Christ called himself I am, but now the Bible is calling also the one who is our father now, the Lord, that means the eternal. But that proves you, there are many other proofs in the scripture that both are eternal. In the book of John in chapter 1, when it says, in the beginning was the word, sometimes in English, because there is a tense that does not exist in English called the imperfect tense in Greek and Latin and in many languages like Italian and French and Spanish. It means when this, when it says here, in the beginning was the word, you know, in, in English it's not very precise because some might say, and there is a false doctrine that says he was created at the beginning, and that's the proof. But because the, the English lacks that that tense. But when you read in other language, in Greek or in Latin or in Spanish, the word was means that before the beginning, he was. Therefore, he had no beginning. And you know that the Apostle Paul said that about Jesus Christ in the book of, of Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, he says very clearly, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God. There are the two are. This is the first time that God the Father is mentioned in the scriptures. Of course, it was not clearly revealed until Christ came, and he came to reveal the Father. They both had existed, always from eternity. And Paul says, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. And then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father. When Melchizedek appeared to Abraham, he was not yet the son of God. They were both eternal. They had lived forever. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. And we have seen scriptures that prove that both are ever living, even if the father is greater than the son, that he's he taught those, that to us. But here he says, To whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being translated king of righteousness, and the, also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father. At this time was not yet the son of God. Christ became the son of God in the moment Mary conceived in her womb. Through the action of the Holy Spirit, the one who will be our Savior, our Messiah. At that very moment, the Word that had always existed became the Son of God, the Son of the Father. And he says, without father, at this time he had no father. Without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Very clear. He's speaking of the priest of the Most High God, so this one also had all the traits of eternity. Unless he said, but may like the Son of God, of course, he was foreordained to become the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So, they made a plan to transfer eternal life 
to make a family. He will become the father of many. And Christ will be the firstborn of many brethren. That means begotten by the same father. It's a tremendous blessing. And we're going to see God did not promise that to the angels. They are not of the same species of humankind, even if now we are clay, but we are foreordained to be transformed into beings with the glorious body similar to the body of the one who begot us. Like, I have a son. Some people say, they, you, you both look pretty much alike. I say, well, that's a compliment. He's better looking than I am. So, <laughs> anyway, so we will look like our father when we are begotten. And only through that seed of eternal life, which would astonish many people. In First John, let's go there. First John chapter 3, that seed of eternal life has a very specific name, my dear friends. So we understand what's going to happen on the day of trumpets. I am a little bit ahead of the game, but I wanted to bring it to our memory since I, I saw that the time is coming soon. First epistle of John, in chapter 3, we find this scripture. Let me find it here, brethren. First John chapter 3, it says... In verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Whoever has been born of God, and here, brethren, you need to know this, and I hope you all know this. This word, this verb, born, the translators, they do the best they can, but they do not understand, because when to translate born, and when to translate begotten. A child, and here we have a harvest of children, they, before they were born, they had to be begotten nine months before. Otherwise, they would not come to life, my dear friend, at the end of the time of life. So, here, whoever has been born is the, the verb, what causes confusion to the translators. And we had an excellent sermon by Mr. Rod McNair, where he explained in how many parts this word that is translated born is the word genau, is G-E-N-N-A-O. In Greek, that word, that verb is exactly the same when a child is conceived by the mother nine months before he's born. Is genau by his father, begotten. And when he's born, they use the same verb. You know, he was genau, I mean, he was born. So, that will make, will help you understand why the translators are confused, because they do not understand what we understand. That we are first begotten by God, and then we are being born again. And when you think about it, the Feast of Pentecost, when God gave the Holy Spirit, represents when we are begotten. That is, for us to be very clear, God gave them the Holy Spirit, and they were still flesh and blood, but they were filled with that power of the presence of God in them through the Spirit. And then the Feast of Trumpets was coming, is the celebration of the birth of those that have been begotten since Abel, all those that will be the first fruits. So in the Feast of Trumpets will be born, and in Greek will be the same word as if we use Pentecost, we are again now, we are begotten, by God, and in trumpets, we are again now, we are born of God. So, I hope that those concepts are clear in all of you. I am sure it is, brethren, but it's important to understand the great event that we're preparing to celebrate and the tre tremendous blessing that it represents for us to be the firstborn or the first fruits. We'll be the firstborn also of the first fruits, but Christ is already born. He already resurrected. Anyway, he says, whoever has been born of God, I'm reading again, 1 John 3, 9, does not sin. That, I mean, he does not practice sin. The Spirit of God in us 
that conscience, that spirit, frankly, is very strong inside, and we cannot continue to sin like we were before. That's what he says, do not afflict the spirit of God. When we sin, we afflict God's spirit in us. It says, whoever has been begotten, that's how it should be translated, 1 John 3, 9, does not sin. That means does not practice sin, doesn't live in sin. We are sin in the sense, John explains in this epistle, that from time to time we mess up, but we repent and we do not, con- we do not continue in sin. We repent from it and we go back to the narrow path and keep walking towards the kingdom of God, keeping God's commandments. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. That means whoever has been begotten of God does not practice sin for his seed. You know, you look this word in the concordance. His seed means his sperma. His sperm. So God the Father has a sperm of eternal life that he is using to beget children and to have a family. And we have that portrayed here. Here, You know, there are many families here, fathers and mothers, and the fathers are the one who have begotten those children. The mother has conceived it. So anyway, it's important to have this in mind to realize that God is transferring us the traits of his divinity through begettal. And he proves it in the book of John, if you want to go with me there, brethren, the book of John. In chapter 1, it says, speaking of Jesus Christ, John chapter 1 and verse 11. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children, I mean sons and daughters of God, even to those who believe in his name, who, here is not correct translation, who were born, is who are born, and here again, the verb born is genau, which means begotten. Nobody except Christ is being born again to this moment, who are begotten not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So is the sperm of the Father who is that Holy Spirit that enters someone who has been called by God, who has repented, who has been baptized, and hence have been laid on him he received the seed of God, the seed of eternity, which is the essence of God the Father who is transferring us, his very nature. You know, brethren, that the angels were not given this privilege. The angels were created spirit beings. We are created like a clay mold to God. But with one tremendous potential. God, when God says he made us in the image and in his likeness, I heard in Abbasal College, the image means our outer appearance is the same of God the Father and the same of Jesus Christ. But the likeness means that there is a spirit in man. There is an ability of that spirit who imparts, like Mr. Armstrong used to say, the intellect to the human brain, who makes all the difference on the ability of human being compared with no matter, no matter what beast. It's a tremendous difference because God gave us a spirit that has the potential of receiving the spirit of God and being impregnated by God. Still, when we are in this life as humans, blood and flesh, we have that spirit that God gave to every human being. You know, it's written in the book of Job 
there is spirit in man, chapter 32, verse 8. When you read the book of Numbers, chapter 16, Aaron and Moses prostrated themselves and said, O God of the spirits of all flesh. And then the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 speaks of the spirit in man. That's the ability that we have, but that has a tremendous potential. It's a spirit that can be impregnated by the sperm of God the Father. So I'm speaking in very plain language, brethren, because I know some people will be offended with this type of language. But it's, it's as holy as we can think. God is creating a family. He's begetting a family that we're going to celebrate the birth of that family, the firstborn, in the book of, in the Feast of Trumpets. So we were created, even if we were a mold of clay, of dust of the earth, but with one great difference. There is a spirit in man. Mr. Arson explained, I had the privilege of being his translator for the last six years of his life, and kind of enter into his mind to try to convey the message he had for the brethren, all his personal articles, the booklets, even the sermons, telecasts, messages for the feast. I, I was dubbing him all the time. So it was a tremendous privilege, brethren. And uh, he said there are three kinds of spirit. There's the spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit. There's the angelic spirit which is a spirit of beings that were created by the spiritual power of God, but not with the potential of being begotten like human were. And he said there is three kinds of spirit, the spirit of God, the angelic spirit, and the spirit in man, which is the one that God gave us that empowers our brain with the intellect and the great ability we humans are being given by God. So, this is uh, amazing to, to reflect on these things, brethren, and, and know that, you know, this was a secret that God kept for himself. And it was only revealed, the essence of the gospel, which is what we preach. We know there is a conspiracy around us, and eventually, they will come after us trying to erase all of this knowledge because there is someone that does not want that knowledge to be preached to the world. And we're going to see why. Let's see. In the chapter 15 of the book of John, Christ said, chapter 15 of the book of John, in verse 14, let's read this, brethren. He says, you are my friends, chapter 15, verse 14, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. Keep that in mind. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I've Heard from my father, I have made known to you. That's a very interesting statement. Because when you read the book of Hebrews, then you can conclude that even the angels didn't know what God was planning to do when we created humankind. How can we know that? Let's let the Bible interpret itself. Let's look at the book of Hebrews in uh, chapter 1. Book of Hebrews, chapter 1. It says, verse 5, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. That means the angels are spirit beings, but do not have the potential of being begotten by the Spirit of God the Father and made them of the same kind that he is, the divine kind, the royal kind. It says, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? But he said that of Jesus Christ. We know that. 
And then we find another one. What is the function? What is the purpose for which God created the angels? If they are not, they have, the, they don't have the same potential we have. They don't have the spirit in man that can be impregnated by the word of God. And we read in John chapter 1 that those that receive and believe Jesus Christ were given the power to be begotten by God. And from the time God made man in his likeness and in his image, he put that spirit in his brain that could receive the spirit of the Father and become and be born as a spirit being with a body like is written, glorious, like the one who begot him is written in the book of Philippians. You know that. But let's say, let's see here, what is the purpose for which God created angels? In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, Are they not all ministering spirits, that mean servants, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? What is salvation? It's the eternal life that God, through his Sperm conveys to us when we are baptized and hands are laid on us. So, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister, to serve? And Christ said, the servants do not know what his master does. And we see that in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, we see that that was a secret that was kept, let's hear, in chapter 3, verse 8 of the book of Ephesians, we have something amazing here, brethren. It says, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God. What is that mystery? That God was going to reproduce himself through humankind. And let's continue and see how this proves that the servants do not know what their master does. Because he says, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Principalities and powers are categories of angelic beings. So they know what God is doing now because of the preaching of the gospel that God transferred from his spirit to our spirit and we preach it, and the angels hear it, and they realize what God is doing through the church. Which is pretty amazing, brethren. I repeat it to you. Verse 10. Ephesians 3, verse 10. To the intent that, the, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So they found out what God had hidden in himself from eternity through the preaching of the church. The angels learn. Like Christ said, the servant does not know what his master is doing. And he said, you are my friends because I have revealed to you everything my father has given to me. And the essence of the gospel of the kingdom of God is this. That God is reproducing himself and he is begetting children that are destined to be born in their order, you know, first the first fruit, Christ the first fruit, then us, and then the rest of humanity back to human life, but at the end of the judgment of the white throne, those people will be turned, those that will believe and receive him, will become spirit beings. And then the new heavens and the new earth will come. So we have a tremendous... Let me show you another scripture that proves this, brethren. So, we realize the tremendous thing God is doing with us. In chapter 16 of the book of Romans, 
chapter 16 of the book of Romans, verse 25. Romans 16:25. Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. There it is. Nobody knew it except God the Father and Jesus Christ. What he was planning to do. Now we know it. And let's look at one more proof. In First Peter. In the first epistle of the uh, Apostle Peter, in chapter 1 of the first epistle of the Apostle Peter, let's look at chapter 1 and verse 10. Look at this. On this salvation, what salvation means? Receiving eternal life. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired. The very essence is that God is having his own children begotten by him that will be resurrected. And before I get there, let me keep your hands there. But that's a tremendous scripture here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And I'll be back. You can keep your hand there in First Peter. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, for the citizen, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. And in First John, I'm sure you remember that too, in First John, again, this is a tremendous, tremendous knowledge God has given to us. But it's good to reflect on those things. I know you, brethren, know these things, but it's good to review them. Chapter 3 of First John and verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Now we are already begotten, and a new being is being created and transformed, like he says in Corinthians, from glory to glory in the same image. As our character is perfected through sufferings, through trials, and God teaches us endurance and faith and love, we are being transformed from glory to glory until our bodies will become, at the sound of the seventh trumpet, will come out with a glorious body similar to the one who begot us, our Father, and our first, our elder brother, Jesus Christ. So it says here, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. We already... You know, when a child is in the womb of his mother here, and we have many of those, he is already the son of the one who begot him and the son of the mother who carries him. And so we already now, we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him we saw in Philippians with a glorious body similar to his, not as glorious as his, but certainly a divine body. And the angels, their purpose for their creation is to be the servants of those that will achieve, that will receive this tremendous salvation. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We work day by day. Some people say, oh yeah, the church, pray and pay. You know, that's kind of a mockery of the work that each one of us as members of God's church we should be doing. Brethren, our work to become like Jesus Christ day by day, deny ourselves from all the temptations of this world, from all the distractions. That's a daily discipline. 
that will transform us into those beings that God will use to rule the world and then the universe. And it's a daily discipline. It's not just pray and pay. It's a transformation of our character and doing good works, of course, that would reveal that desire of the love of God to be manifested to our brethren. But here we will see him and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so here in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, we see a proof that the angels didn't know and we have seen that was a mystery hidden in God before time began. When God made that purpose, he, he wanted to create a family. Before he created the universe, he had that in mind. We were in his mind. We are his tremendous handiwork that God is doing, brethren. It's an amazing thing. I was looking at some videos of the immense, the unsearchable greatness of the universe and how it's been expanded at great speed. And there are the dimensions of the universe are unfathomable for us. Even with the most powerful telescopes, we cannot reach the ends of the universe if it has an end. And I, I remember a translation of, of a psalm says, to the measure of your greatness are your works. You cannot measure the universe, brethren. Like we cannot measure and figure out that God has always existed. That's something that is beyond our ability to conceive. And that's what God is. And he's the only one who has always existed. That's what his name is, the eternal. In the Bible, God calls things by what they are. And he calls himself by the ever-living because he has always existed. And the greatness of the power of God is beyond our capacity to understand. And here the Apostle Peter says, chapter 1, verse 10, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. What is the mystery that was hidden in God? He says, who prophesied, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And listen to this, things which angels desire to look into. They are learning through the preaching of the church what God had in mind before the beginning of time, and he kept that secret all the way until Christ came and revealed what we now understand. And, and thanks to Mr. Armstrong and to God who guided him, he was the one who clearly put this doctrine in full clarity for us of the human potential. And Dr. Meredith, of course, he reproduced that in his booklet, Your Ultimate Destiny, that now has a new title. I don't remember exactly what the title is now, but the reason for our life, you know. So, what we see today, brethren, is God, when he created, he clearly divided things into species. And he repeats over and over. He established an order. From the beginning, he established an order. You, you look in chapter 1 of Genesis, we can start... We can start here in, in chapter 1 and verse 20. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, which he, which the waters abounded, according to their 
kind. I'll repeat that very clearly. Each creature or group of creatures were created according to their kind. And then she says, and every winged bird according to its kind. And then he continues in verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle, according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. He established an order. And we see that order is still going on. I was reading about hummingbirds, which is one of the most charming little things, the marvels of creation, how they can fly backwards, forwards, up and down, stopping the air. There are 360 species of hummingbirds in the world, and 165 of them are in Colombia, the country where I was born. No other country has more variety of hummingbirds, 165 species of hummingbirds. And I was looking at them, at many of them, and some of they're exclusive to Colombia, some kinds of hummingbirds. And they are all hummingbirds. They have, in general, the same characteristics. They have reproduced according to their kind. And what God said continues to be easy to observe. What the theory of evolution preaches and teaches has pervaded academia all over the world you cannot observe it. There is no proof that there have been one species becoming another species, which is one of the bases of, of Darwin, you know, theory. And frankly, I found that blasphemous. You know, God insists so much on each one according to his own kind, and then a human being comes and says, no, it's not so. The species evolved. One became another one. And there are no proof. I have a book here. It says billions of missing links. Billions. That means the variety in the creation. And there is not one single proof that one species has been changing to another one. And Mr. Geoffrey Simmons says here in his book, he has deeply studied this. Let me see if I find that quote. Ah, here it is. It says, Darwin's theories should also be subject to the scientific method. That means things that you can observe. And it cannot be observed. One species becoming another one. Yet, they, there are no published experiments that clearly show one species naturally evolving into another species. Darwin essentially admits this in forgotten passages in many of his writings. And he said that as time went and archaeology would progress, they would find the missing links and they would be connecting how it, the, the species were evolving, ch changing one into another. And what has happened is just the opposite. Everything has been discovered is that there is not such thing as the missing link, that there were separate species reproducing according to their own species as God has pronounced it. Now, why do I bring this now here, brethren? Why is this movement now, you know, of the movement of that people can change their gender, you know? God said very clearly, you know, that scripture says, it says here, In chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Like I said to you, this might mean the image is the form, the shape of our body is similar to God's. And the likeness is that spirit that God gave to humans. That is not the Holy Spirit, but that has the potential of being begotten 
of being impregnated by the Spirit of God. And we saw that no, not of the angels God has ever said, you are my son, I have begotten you. That means, and they don't reproduce according to their species. You can find the number of angels if you can calculate it in the book of, uh, in book of, uh, Revelation chapter 5. You know, it says here, in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, it says, then I looked, Chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked, this is John writing, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I don't know how to calculate that, but that means God created a lot of spirit beings, but he never tell the, told them, reproduce and grow, you know? No way. And God even, Christ even said in, you read in, in Luke chapter 19, the angels don't marry. They don't get married. They don't have babies. They don't reproduce. They were made of the different species, even if they're spirit beings, you know? So they have a function. Why is it that this theory of evolution, we know also that the whole world, according to John, 1 John, chapter 5, you know the scripture, chapter 5 and verse 19, 1 John, chapter 5, verse 19, it says, we know that we are of God, 1 John 5, 19, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world. So why this theory evolution came up? To convince people that even humans might be descendants of, of primates, you know, and, uh, and contradict everything God said. And when, you know, when God told to Noah that he should put animals in the ark, God repeats Everyone according to his kind. God is very specific about that. And uh, in chapter 6, verse 19 of the book of Genesis, 6:19, And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring, two of every sort in the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind of animals after their kind, and of, of, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And in chapter 7, it repeats, verse 14, 714 of the book of Genesis, they and every beast after its kind all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. So, now, the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Why would he inspire this theory of evolution? You know, the greatest frustration of Satan, the devil, brethren, is that he was created, as all the angels, for a function, to be the servants of those that would inherit salvation. And those that will inherit salvation are of the kind of God. And we can prove that. If you take Animals of different species, they do not reproduce. There's no way. But God reproduces himself. Mary said when Gabriel came and told her, you're going to have a son. He said, how this can be? He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the holy being that will be born will be called the Son of God. That means God had a son with a woman. That's what it is. 
we are the same species of God because God can reproduce himself through humans, you know. And that's not all. When Paul writes in, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter, let me see if I find that, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, he says, in verse 30, chapter 5, verse 30, for we are members of his body, speaking of Jesus Christ, of his flesh and of his bones. What did God say to the first Adam? Adam said, this is flesh of my flesh and bones of my bones, about Eve that was taken from him. And here the second Adam Paul is applying the same statement that Adam, the first Adam, said. And here he said in verse 30, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. What is that mystery? That God would reproduce himself through humankind and that we are of the same kind of God. Otherwise, how, how can we marry Jesus Christ? When God forbids to mate animals of different kind, when God forbids of men mating with beasts or women with beasts, and only of the same kind could mate, and frankly, in nature we observe only those will reproduce. If you have lived in the country, how is it that we are going to be married to Jesus Christ when he was born of a woman? That means we are the same kind of God. In the marriage of the Lamb, which will be celebrate in the Feast of Trumpets, will be taken up to the presence of the Father with glorious bodies to become one spirit with Jesus Christ in a marriage that the Father will perform like Adam was one flesh with Eve. Only if we are the same kind, that can happen, brethren. So what happens? Why do the devil inspire all this confusion? It's his greatest frustration. He rebelled against God. He did not want to fulfill the function that God had assigned to him, and he wants to be God. But he is of another species. He cannot be God. He cannot reproduce himself. And we can see what was in his mind in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And they are coming after us. This is becoming a sacred thing that if someone wants to change his gender, that means that will obstruct the plan of God. If a boy decides to be a woman, and you can change it. When God said he created man and woman, or he created everything according to his own species. He said, he makes even intellectuals believe, no, that's not so. And now he has placed his agents in great, great organization of this world, that the UN and the UNESCO. We have a friend in the church in Colombia. She is a school teacher. And they have received funds from the UNESCO for the teaching of the children. But one of the requirements for receiving those uh, funds is that every week or I don't know how often the boys will be on one side, the girls on the other side and the boys have to take off their clothes and give it to the girls and the girls take off their clothes and give it to the boys and say we can be a man or a woman, I can't decide it when God said he created them man and woman is the same mind that says that one species became another one because he is of a species, of the angelic species, that cannot be begotten by the seed of the Most High God, and he wants to confuse the world, making them believe that one species can be changed into another one, because that is his frustration. He wants to be God, and he cannot be God. He has tried, and he's going to try again, before the return of Christ. Let's look at, at what he is in his mind here, and then it's important to understand where all these things come from. All this confusion. 
And how you can be put in prison if you say someone what I'm saying, what I'm telling you right, right now here. It has become like a holy belief. And in chapter 14 of Isaiah, <clears throat> you know what is in, in the devil's mind and what his frustration is. Chapter 14, verse 14 of the book of Isaiah says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. He wants to be God, but he belongs to another species. He has deceived the whole world by his frustration that one species can be changed into another one, because he cannot. What God establishes, he establishes. Each one according to their own kind, including the angels. They don't reproduce, but they belong to a separate group. That is not the divine group that will inherit the eternal life from God the Father. I will ascend this little bit higher here, what is in his mind. And that reveals to us exactly what's the problem and why all this confusion about evolution, about changing genders, about mixing everything got separated. That's where it comes from. He's powerful. And this lady said, I will not accept that. The children have to give their clothes to the girls and the girls the clothes to the boys. In very young age. And she was fired. They have such power. Now it's, they have a tremendous power to impose this deception that is born out of the frustration of Satan, the devil. Here is what's in his mind. Chapter 14, verse 13 of the book of Isaiah. For you have said in your heart, boy, <laughs> there's no other source in the universe that can tell you what was in the heart of, of Lucifer. And God is revealing it to us here. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be, I will be like the most high. If you, sh yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And we know that the, he tried it once with one third of the angels, and he's going to try it again in a near future. He will try to take over the throne of God. It's in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. I'm sure you have read that. That's what he's attempting to do. Why? He wants to accomplish a function for which he was not created. God determined each one according to his own species. If he's a spirit being or is the creation of God, but he would not accept it. And he creates all this confusion. We know exactly where that comes from, with the frustration of Satan the devil. And in chapter 12 of Revelation, right before the return of Christ, it looks like it's 1,335 days before the return of Christ. It says, Verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7 of the book of Revelation. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation has and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. That means this is immediately before the return of Jesus Christ. And when you look... <coughs> Of chapter 12, verse 13, 
he says, Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. We will know when this battle will have taken place. Because the devil will have come, he has to use a human being. He will use the false prophet who will make fire come down from heaven and get the credibility before the whole world that we are the worst plague on the face of the earth. He wants to destroy. Before Christ returns, he still has a chance to destroy those that will inherit salvation to whom he does not want to serve according to the function God gave to the angelic realm. So, brethren, let's have our eyes open. The corruption is reaching extremes. Extremes. In Christ, we see this accelerating. We need to be watching. There is a persecution coming upon the church, upon us. We should be ready. Christ said, they persecuted me, they are going to persecute you. And he says also that many will be offended and will betray, betray one another. If you stay close to God and we stay as Moses who stood as if he were seeing the invisible one, that's faith. Faith is seeing what is not seen, but the faith gives of the conviction that God is there. Then we will stand the temptation of betraying one another. But it's written is going to happen. I have a, a book here called The Sexual Rights. It's in French. I don't know if it exists in English. I haven't researched it. It's written by a historian, a French historian, a lady. The whole objective of this book is denounce what Mr. Strain mentioned in his sermon last week. There was a choir of gay men in San Francisco saying, we will go after your children. What's behind those words? Brethren, the education, like I mentioned this lady who is, was a, a teacher in elementary school, that she had to let the children exchange clothes. They, the argument they are using now is that children have sexual rights that their parents forbid them from using. Since they don't beget children, they have to go after the children of the ones who still beget children. And the objective is that through the education in elementary school, and even before, they say children should be allowed to have the sexual right even for the crib, from the crib. You could imagine what do they mean by that. And then in school, they will be taught it's perfectly normal to have any kind of sexual relationships. What they are after, according to this study of this lady, is they want to transform childhood to the point, and without the parents knowing it, that when a pedophile comes around, the child will be consensual. That's what they are after. And then there will be no crime because he was consensual, even if he was four or five years old. That's what they're after, my dear brethren. Where does this come? You know, from people that do not reproduce because they go against the laws of God. I'm not going to read all those laws. I hope you will read the book of Leviticus and everything God says about the perversions that we are seeing reaching the fullness of iniquity in our society. So we have to be aware where all this confusion comes from, that you can change your gender. Where does it come that, uh, you know, the gay, the gay way of life is perfectly lawful? And if you don't think so, uh, you are a criminal. Anyway, all of this, I don't go into all the details, but I wanted to show the greatness of what God is doing with us and how that is going to be celebrated on the day of trumpets when those that will inherit salvation and were begotten by the sperm of God the Father will be born after they were begotten because they overcame in God's purpose that he made the word in God before 
time began, before there were planets that would turn on their own axis and mark the days, and the moon turning around the planets and mark the months, and the planet going around the sun and mark the years. Before that, he had already in mind what we're going to celebrate in a few weeks. And his plan would succeed. But there is a big attempt to confuse humans more than they are now by someone who wants to play a role for which he was not created and rebel against the purpose of his creator. Anyway, brethren, I wish you a happy Sabbath. And let's think about these things, and then we understand where all this confusion comes from.